Presented by Heart Tools, available at Walmart. Now, here are Tom and Leslie. Coast to coast and floorboards to shingles, this is the Money Pit Home Improvement Show. I'm Tom Kreitler. And I'm Leslie Segretti. Hey guys, what are you working on this weekend? If it's your house, you are in exactly the right place because we're here to help you get those projects done. Whether it is inside or out, Upside or down, you find yourself because you don't know what to do first. Give us a call. We'd love to help. That number is one eight 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 Money Pit. You know, Leslie, uh, last night at about eleven p.m., somebody come up to my door and knocked. That was kind of freaky, right? That's weird. And I gingerly turned the light on, and it's hard to recognize people because everyone's wearing masks. I opened the door a little bit. It turned out it was my neighbor from like three or four houses down. She got locked out of her house. But still, and I guess she didn't have a phone. Was she walking the dog or something? She was getting something out of her car, and the thing was, she had one of those locks that has the buttons on it. Oh, like mine, where we get locked out often? And the buttons froze, so they wouldn't work. Weird. So I head over to her house, and I got my WD-40, and I'm spraying the lock down, and it just wouldn't, wouldn't budge. And so, you know, I was about ready to, you know, try to jimmy the lock. I said, you know what, let me just check the rest of the doors. And sure enough, the patio door was open. So I got her in. But, you know, it got me thinking that... Uh, it got you thinking that clearly your neighbor has an issue with the doors. <laughs> well, I'm sure she's not alone either. No, I know. You know it, it's a nice, convenient thing to have because, you know, people just use a code to get in. But, you know, one of the things that we've done is we have a lock box. Uh, I think it's made by Master Lock. It's like a steel box that's really, really strong. And you could put that somewhere outside your house. It's got its own combination. You can keep a spare key in there. So there are other ways to kind of prevent this sort of thing from happening to you. But I just thought, boy, that's uh, kind of a weird situation, but I bet it happens to a lot of people, and I ought to mention it. Hey, if you've had something like that or something similar happen and you've got a solution, we'd love to hear from you. The number is one eight 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 Money Pit. We've got a great show planned for you today. First up, snap, crackle, and pop. Now, that's a sound that sounds good when it comes from your breakfast cereal, right? But when it comes to your water heater, maybe not so much. We're going to dive into the causes of noisy heating systems and banging pipes or toilets that flush mysteriously all by themselves. And if there's one thing in our home that we want to be pure and fresh every time we reach for it, it's our water. But that's not always the case. We're going to explain how to offset the odor and hopefully get rid of it altogether. And if your vintage home has some, well, maybe vintage wallpaper that's starting to peel apart, we're going to have some tips on easy fixes to help you preserve the past. But first, we want to know what you want to know. From bathrooms to basements and demolition to decor, we're here to share expert tips to help you tackle your to-dos with confidence. So let's get started. Give us a call right now with your home improvement question at one eight 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 Money Pit. If we're not in the studio, we'll call you back the next time we are. Uh, and you can also post your questions at MoneyPit.com. So let's get to it. Leslie, who's first? Daniel in Washington is in love with his older home's windows, but needs some help working on them. What can we do for you? I want to know how I can remove them without destroying them or having to cut off the weights and letting them fall in the wall, as I was told that's what I have to do. Well, why do you want to preserve the weights, Dan? Well, I just, my biggest fear is they're upstairs windows and I don't want them to cause any damage when I cut them loose and I just want to pull them out intact, I guess, for seeing what what exactly they are. They're being used for weights. Yeah, you don't have to worry too much about that. How old is your house, Dan? 
It was built in 1900. Okay. So the weights themselves are these um, sort of round tubular pieces of solid cast metal, and I wouldn't worry about letting them drop. They're only going to drop to sort of the bottom of the wall cavity. They're not really going to do any damage. They'll drop down a couple of feet and stop. But what you do is, is cut those cords or disconnect the chains, let the weights drop, pull out the pulleys, take out the upper and the lower sash, and then you insert the replacement window into the rest of the wood sort of old window frame that's left. That's the smart move because it's very easy to do. You don't have to tear up any siding or anything like that. You basically just take apart the operable sashes and slip the new replacement windows inside, which you can do because all replacement windows are basically built to fit. That's the way the technology is designed to work. You know, if you put in an order for replacement windows, they put all the numbers into a computer and it spits out the window at the other end of the of the assembly line and, and you just slip them in and you're done. It's a very uh, easy installation. You need to be really careful on the measuring though and I would have the company that you're buying the windows from do the measuring to make sure you get it right. But not to worry about the weights. Not a big deal. And it's funny you mentioned that. He actually did come out and look at them and he told me that he wouldn't be able to give me the measurements to get the windows myself because when he they order them, the guys that install them have to do any work that's needed to make them fit properly because he, he just takes a rough measurement. Hmm. So was he just giving you an estimate? Was he there to measure for an estimate? Yeah. Yeah. Well, I mean, that makes sense. Um, plus, i got to tell you, the... Every company does a little bit different. So if you buy it from manufacturer A, they may measure one way, and manufacturer B might measure it slightly differently. So whoever you buy these from, they have to do the exact measurements. He may have just been measuring so he knows how to price you know, the order, but it may have to be measured again before you actually do the order. Plus, they're, you know, the numbers are really guarded. He might be thinking that if he gives you the exact measurements, you're going to turn around and go to another company or order them yourself and try to do it yourself. Which you really couldn't do because what if he has the numbers wrong? You'll end up paying for windows that don't fit. So if we we already did, I measured the frame on the windows, not the window itself, and we did just put the order in. So I, I could be in trouble here. Are you going to put them in yourself? Yeah, because it's the, half the cost of the windows was the labor to put them in. Well, how did you know how to measure them? Did you get advice from who you bought the windows from? Yeah, he told me to measure the frame, not the window, not the part of the window that moves, but he said the frame itself. Right. And he said that's the numbers that they would use if they sent somebody out. And then he right. offered because it was free and when to send somebody out. And when the guy showed up, he did the kind of, you know, whoa, hold on. I just kind of give them rough numbers and they do what they need to do to make them fit from there. What I would do if I was normally ordering windows is I would get the advice on how exactly they need to be ordered. I would make you know take the measurements and order them to fit. Um, you know, if that's what you did and you followed their instructions, you should be okay. But the thing is, if you know, if if you if you got it wrong, you're going to get a window that doesn't fit and you're going to have a problem. But as long as you followed their instructions, uh, then you should be okay. All right. It just kind of made me worry when the guy that showed up here gave me a different story than the guy down at the store. Yep. Yeah. Well, <laughs> you know, they're they're all experts. They all have their way. <laughs> and clearly they're not talking to each other. Exactly. Yeah. That's like I said, that was the part that scared me and why I wanted to get some some advice on this. All right. Well, I hope that helps you out, Daniel. Thanks so much for calling us at 888 Money Pit. 
And in Georgia, you are on the line with the Money Pit. How can we help you today? Well, uh, my house was built back in the 60s, and uh, I know now when they put up drywall, they use drywall screws. Yep. Back, back then, they used a hammer. Yep, and I've got these dings on the walls and on the ceiling, and I've you know, tried to uh, put you know, spackle over the top of them and, and scrape it off and, and sand it and, I, and paint it, and there they are. They come right back again. Is there anything I can do to sort of cover it, or do I have to take down all the drywall? No, no. Are you sure it's a hammer ding and not a nail pop? Does it seem like it's raised, or does it seem like it's recessed? The recessed. They're recessed. Okay, so the solution here is spackling, but it's not just a one-shot thing. What you want to do is put multiple coats of spackle on, and so you start, and you can go out to a home center or a hardware store, and you can buy plastic uh, spackle knives that are basically disposable. So you start out with one that's about two inches, then you go to one that's about four or five inches, then you go with one that's like six or eight inches wide, and if you put on three layers like that, you'll fill it in, it'll be absolutely flat. But you can't just stop there. If you're going to start doing this around the house, you're going to have to repaint all of those surfaces, and you should prime them first, because if not, you're going to get different absorption between the areas that were newly spackled and the old ones, and that will result in sort of like a a weird kind of glazing or sort of shade difference with the way the paint kind of takes. Oh, okay. All right. Now, if you have one that looks like it's cracked, what Leslie was talking about were called nail pops. Uh-huh. And frankly, that's much more likely than the dents you're describing, unless mm-hmm. you just happen to have a really over-aggressive guy with a hammer <laughs> that put that thing together back in the 60s. Those dents are haunting you 50 years later. <laughs> yeah. The nail pops, you could put another nail next to the one that sort of stuck it out and drive it in. And that the, the second nail will hold in the first nail. But remember, it's really key that you sand, prime, and paint to make this all go away. And lastly, the type of paint you use is critical. Make sure you use flat paint. Do not use anything with a sheen because when you put something with a sheen on a wall, any defect in the wall becomes magnified when the light hits it. Well, that's great advice. All right, Ann, good luck with that project. Thanks so much for calling us at 888 Money Pit. Billy in Texas is on the line with some deck building questions. What can we do for you today? My question is what? Wood should I build it out of to last longer? Redwood, uh, you know, the traded timber, or uh, I don't know, I've had buddies tell me I needed to go with the, uh, the old Louisiana wood. Uh, the, uh, yeah, I mean, your options are treated wood, a uh, decay or disease resistant wood like redwood or cedar, or composite. You wouldn't use untreated wood because it would rot quickly. But, I mean, here's the thing. If you like real natural-looking wood, then there's no reason not to use treated wood. If you want to step it up a little bit, you could use redwood or cedar. It's going to be an expensive upgrade. But no matter what kind of wood you use, you will have to treat it. Because even if you use redwood or cedar, if you don't put a seal or a stain on there, it's going to fade because of the sun, and it's going to splinter and break down and crack. So if you're going to go with wood, you're going to have to use a solid color stain on there to make sure it's preserved. Now, the other option, which you didn't mention, is composite. And if you go with composite decking, then there's really almost no maintenance that you have to do to it. Sometimes it gets a little dirty, it has to be scrubbed. 
but it doesn't crack, it doesn't check, it doesn't twist. It's always comfortable under bare feet. It's going to be a little more expensive, but when you add up the cost of the wood and the maintenance and the stain and all of that... Well, and the physical maybe, cost of actually doing the maintenance. That's right. Maybe not so much. So those would be the pros and cons of going with wood versus composite. But if you want something that's not going to have a lot of maintenance headaches and it's going to last a long time, I would definitely go with composite. Did you know that Americans take 20,000 breaths a day and spend an average of 90% of their time indoors? That's right. And according to the EPA, the level of indoor air pollutants can be two to five times higher than outdoor air and occasionally more than 100 times higher. Plus, every spring we get sucked with allergens too. Well, Air Doctor is an air purifier that filters out dangerous contaminants like pollen, pet dander, dust mites, and mold. Their Ultra HEPA filter has been independently tested to remove 99.99% of tested allergens, including bacteria and viruses. That's impressive. Now, Air Doctor also comes with a 30-day money-back guarantee. So if you don't love it, just send it back for a refund minus the shipping. And they're offering a special discount to Money Pit listeners. Just head to airdoctorpro.com and use promo code MONEYPIT, and you'll receive up to $300 off air purifiers. Exclusive to podcast customers, you'll also receive a free three-year warranty on any unit, which is an additional $84 value. Lock this special offer in right now by going to airdoctorpro.com and use promo code MONEYPIT. That's airdoctorpro.com, promo code MONEYPIT. Everyone should know that drinking water is important to staying hydrated and healthy. Having safe, clean water is the last thing you want to worry about, but unfortunately, according to extensive research by the Environmental Working Group, three out of four homes in America have harmful contaminants right in its tap water. That's why we are thrilled to be working with AquaTrue. AquaTrue purifiers use a four-stage reverse osmosis purification process, and their countertop purifiers work with no installation or plumbing. It removes 15 times more contaminants than ordinary pitcher filters and is specifically designed to combat chemicals like PFAs in your water supply. And they have water purifiers to fit every type of home, from installation-free countertop purifiers to higher-capacity under-sink options. They even have a Wi-Fi-connected purifier and mineral boost options. And its proprietary purification technology is independently tested by IATMO to NSF and ANSI standards to remove over 80 of the most harmful contaminants, including chlorine, fluoride, arsenic, PFAs known as forever chemicals, nitrate, and many more. I can truly taste the difference when I compare it with my old water filter. AquaTrue saves you money also. Just one set of filters from their classic purifier makes the equivalent of 4,500 bottles of water. That's less than three cents a bottle. Plus, you'll save the environment from tons of plastic waste. AquaTrue comes with a 30-day money-back guarantee and even makes a great gift. And today, Money Pit listeners can receive 20% off any AquaTrue purifier. Just go to aquatrue.com. That's A-Q-U-A-T-R-U.com and enter code MONEYPIT at checkout. That's 20% off any AquaTrue water purifier when you go to aquatrue.com and use promo code M-O-N-E-Y-P-I-T. MONEYPIT.
Well, all homes have a personality in terms of the noises that they make. I mean, certainly there are some strange noises that come from all different corners of the house, and sometimes they're just seasonal changes. Maybe it's the heating and cooling system kicking on and off, and just life in general. You know, there's a lot going on that we usually don't think about, but sometimes those sounds can be a predictor of a potential problem. Yeah, that's right. So, for example, if your water heater is making a gurgling sound, it's usually caused by rust or sediment or mineral buildup in the tank. And while that's not a major problem by itself, it's more common in older water heaters because they're more prone to rust and that buildup. So you really ought to be checking the age. Now, the average life of a water heater is about 10 years old. So to figure out how old your unit is, take a look at the serial number. It's going to be listed on that data plate right on the unit itself. In most cases, the first two digits are the year the heater was manufactured. Now, checking that out, if it seems to be getting close to 10 years, it'll be less expensive to replace the unit before you need to pay a plumber overtime to replace it in the middle of the night when you've got no hot water and a big mess on your hands. Definitely. Now, if your toilet flushes on its own, it usually means the flush valve, which is that rubber flapper thing in the bottom of the tank, is leaking. What happens is it lets water out into the bowl, and then when the tank gets low enough, the fill valve kicks in and refills the tank, and that's what results in that sort of mysterious flush. Now, if you want to confirm that the flush valve is actually the thing that's leaking, here's a little trick of the trade. You can open the top of the tank and pour a few drops of food coloring in the tank. Close it, and wait about 15 minutes or more, and if you see that food color show up in the bowl itself the only way it's getting there is around a bad flapper that means it's leaking and it needs to be replaced now if that's the case you'll need to drain the tank for the project so i would suggest you replace both the fill and the flush valves at the same time it's a very basic plumbing project and parts won't cost more than about 15 or 20 bucks yeah it's a super confidence builder when it comes to a plumbing project because you can definitely do it and you'll be so proud that you've accomplished it Now, let's talk about how to quiet down those noisy pipes. Now, banging pipes are usually caused by a water hammer, which is essentially what happens when water is running through the pipes, and then it suddenly stops when you close the valve. Now, if the pipes are loose, the momentum of that water is going to cause those pipes to shake, resulting in what is commonly called a water hammer. Now, there are two solutions. First of all, you've got to secure any loose pipes that you can easily access. And secondly, if that banging is really bad, you can have a plumber come in and install a water hammer arrester, which does pretty much what it says. It's a shock absorber for your plumbing, and it helps it to stop making that sound altogether. Yeah, and water hammer rarely causes pipes to leak, but it doesn't mean you need to put up with it, especially if the fix is as simple as securing those loose pipes. Karen in Kansas has taken on a tiling project. How can we help you with that? Yes, we were wondering the difference between the snapstone. What's the pros and cons of that and the traditional? Well, I mean, the Snapstone is an easy installation. It's really aimed at DIYers, and mm-hmm. it makes it a lot easier to put it together. I mean, you don't have to align them because you'll get, like, sort of perfect mm-hmm. uh, quarter like inch or so. Out already. Yeah, you get, like, perfect grout lines with it. Um, you can actually physically take them apart and reuse them if you want, but uh, it's just a lot easier for a DIYer to install them. Are you going to do this yourself? Yes, that's we were going to try starting in our bathroom and see how it looked. And yeah, well, if it worked, if we could do it right, then we were going to continue on into the kitchen and dining room. Well, what you're probably going to need to do is rent a wet saw because right. cutting the tile is what separates the pros from the DIYers. You know, if you don't have mm-hmm. the right, if you have the right tools, it's really easy. If you don't, it's just not. And uh-huh. tiling is very unforgiving. But if it's a small area, a small project, and you've never done tile before, I think 
you know, going with the Snapstone is probably a good first uh, attempt. It, it, it'll be probably more forgiving than if you did it with regular tile. Cost-wise, I mean, uh, how long would it last compared to the other, do you think? I think it should last the same time, which is pretty much indefinitely. Really? Mm-hmm. I mean, the only yeah. downside I can see is that you've only got 11 tile choices, so you got to like what they've got. Whereas if you're uh-huh. installing tile in a traditional sense, you you know, sky's the limit as far as tile choice, layout, pattern, design, everything. You know, so if you're okay with something, you know, in their color palette, which seems like a good run, you know, it looks like there could be something for your job, you know, then I say do it. Okay, well, thank you so very much. You're welcome. Good luck with that project. Thanks so much for calling us at 888-MONEYPIT. Robert in Oregon's on the line and is having an issue with some plaster walls at his home. How can we help you? Well, I uh, was finishing a room in my bedroom, and and after applying the plaster, uh, some of the plaster was coming off after I painted it. But originally, I did the living room, which was my first job, and I mixed it a bunch of, of the plaster, imperial plaster, and, of course, I mixed too much, and it got hard, you know. So I learned not to mix so much because you can only use so much during a certain time, you know, before it sets up. So anyway, in the next room, I, you know, drywalled it, finished it, and then I used a product called Plaster Weld, which is supposed to be a primer for the plaster. Right. Plaster Weld is a bonding agent. Right. And you use this on top of drywall, is that correct? Yes. Was it new drywall? Uh, yeah, new drywall. Okay. But I, but I primed the walls first. Okay. And then put the plaster weld over that. Mm, okay. And then uh, mixed up my plaster, the imperial plaster, and applied it, and finished it all up and trialed it to the, you know the texture I wanted. And then uh, we went back, my wife and I touched up a few spots, and then let it dry overnight. Then we put a primer on it, and while putting the primer on it, some of the plaster was coming off. First of all. I would not have primed the drywall. Uh-huh. I don't really see a reason to do that. I mean, you prime the drywall to control adhesion uh, and to stop the uh, the absorption, I should say, of, of the new paint, the top coat of paint, and to get an even sheen. But you weren't really concerned about sheen because you intended to do a plaster coat. You were basically building what's called plaster lath. This is the way homes were done in the 50s, where you have a, a drywall base, and then you put a plaster coat on top of that. The bonding agent was the right thing to do, but that should have gone directly onto the drywall. Now you put the drywall on, then you put a primer over that, and then you put the bonding agent on top of that. So now you have to get the bonding agent to stick to the primer, and that's a little more difficult than getting it to stick to the raw drywall. So I think you've got a situation now where you're going to have this problem potentially repeating itself. So I hate to tell you this, but what I might do is put another layer of drywall over this real thin layer and start again. You don't have to use half inch. You could use quarter inch just to skim it mm-hmm. and then put the plaster over that. All right. Thanks. You're welcome. Thanks so much for calling us at 888 Pit. Well, if there's one thing in our home that we want to be pure and fresh every time we reach for it, it's our water. Now, if your water smells more like raw and eggs, there might be a simple solution. First of all, let's first talk about what that smell is. Now, when you smell that rotten egg smell, it's sulfur, and it tends to rear its stinky head most often in houses that are located on a ground water supply. And it happens because the groundwater can pick up hydrogen sulfide, which is a naturally occurring gas, and that hydrogen sulfide gets 
absorbed into the water and then comes into the house. It's not dangerous. It's not harmful to your health. It's just smells yucky and it's annoying. Yeah. So so now that we know, let's talk about how to treat it. If the smell seems to be coming from both hot and cold water, then you need to call your well contractor. They're going to install a filter that minimizes the sulfur that reaches your house. But if that smelly water is only coming from the hot side, what you need to do is to replace the sacrificial anode rod inside your hot water heater. Now, sacrificial anodes are made of magnesium, and that is what the hydrogen sulfide attacks, releasing that rotten egg smell and eating away at the rod at the same time. Yep, and that's why they're called sacrificial. <laughs> that's right. They are laying down their lives for fresh-smelling water. So when you replace that old Somebody's magnesium rod, it. yeah, you want to buy one, though, that is an aluminum sacrificial anode rod. These are more resistant to that hydrogen sulfite, and it's going to get the job done without risk of so much sulfur sticking to them and then ultimately being released back into your home and making your water smell stinky. Those rods, they're pretty affordable. They're about 30 bucks, and you could find them at any plumbing supply location. Now we've got Lou from North Carolina on the line who's dealing with a water pressure issue. How can we help you today? I don't have any water pressure in my house, and I wonder how to make the water pressure big, uh, higher. Now, has this always been a problem, or is it a recent problem? I think it's always been a problem. Yeah. How old is your house, Lou? 43 years old. Is it a well water system, or is it a city water system? Uh, I don't know. Do you pay a water bill? Yeah. All right, so it's city water then if you're paying a water bill. So then what I would do is this. I would start by having the water pressures checked at the street and find out what the water pressure is coming into your house. It needs to be between about 50 and, and 80 pounds or so to give you decent water pressure. If, it's, if there's good water pressure at the street, then we have to go inside and start to figure out where it's being restricted. It could be by the pipe, it could be by the water valve, or it could be by fixtures. But if it's evenly uh, poor across the entire house, it's more likely to be somewhere near the main water valve. It could be partially closed, it could be obstructed with mineral deposits. But I would start by contacting the water water company and tell them that the water pressure in your house is not acceptable and then have them test the water pressure at the main for where, where it comes into your house and see what's going on. It could be that there's a problem at the main that uh, they could fix right there without even having to come in your house. Okay, Lou? Okay. Okay. I'll contact them. Good luck with that project. Thanks so much for calling us at 888 Money Pit. Jim in Arkansas is on the line with a chimney question. How can we help you today? Well, the reason I called is because I have an issue with my fireplace it's just a regular wood burner it doesn't have an insert in it and i want to seal the chimney for health and energy loss reasons you know i I was thinking about putting a, a, a steel plate on the top because here in the ozarks whenever we get bad weather and that wind is howling it sounds like a freight train coming through my fireplace, and I have quite a bit of a draft. And the damper, you know, just does not hold, you know, securely enough, so I don't get that air uh, th- through there. I was wondering, can you give me some advice as to who to contact if it's feasible to do something like this? Is safety a concern? It's certainly feasible to do this project. 
it's sort of the kind of project that you got to be a bit creative with because what you're going to want to do is try to form some sort of weather-tight shield across the top of the flue. I would tell you, that whatever you do to this, make it removable, because chances are, if you sell this house at some point in the future, you know somebody might find it really attractive to have a fireplace there in the Ozarks and want to you know, reactivate this chimney, so to speak. So... However you seal it across the top, you got to find out, find an easy way to do that. You know, one thing that comes to mind is that there's a damper that fits in the top of a chimney liner, and it's sort of like a weighted heavy metal door. And the way it's activated is that there's a stainless steel cable that goes down through the middle of the chimney, and it's uh, hooked onto the side of the fireplace, and when you release the cable, the door flops open. So that would be a, a way to put a device up there that's really designed for a flu and will serve the dual purpose of sealing off the draft from the top. Okay. Well, I thank you very much for uh, giving me the time, and I love your show. Listen to it two hours every Sunday morning. All right. Well, thank you very much, Jim. It's nice to hear. We appreciate it. Well, if your home has vintage wallpaper that you've been enjoying for many, many years, but now it's got seams that are peeling or paper that's bubbling, you might be able to preserve it, and here's how. Now, both pre-pasted and traditional wallpaper might begin to peel in the places where the two strips meet. With the pre-pasted paper, the adhesive might not have been fully applied during the manufacturing process, and seams also become loose if too much paste was squeezed out of that seam during the installation. You know when you're sort of like squeegeeing that wallpaper flat and going back and forth with the brush one it kind of like comes out of the seams and sometimes you just push out too much which is also bad well regardless of how this has happened you can start the repair process by gently gently pulling back that wallpaper to where it's kind of still fully adhered to the wall and then using a small artist paintbrush and wallpaper seam adhesive you want to spread the adhesive onto the wall under the seam next you're going to smooth the wallpaper back down over that adhesive and use a small wooden seam roller to flatten it completely and then a damp cloth or sponge to wipe up any sort of leftover adhesive that might have squeezed out onto the paper and that's important too because you don't want it to stain the paper but don't wipe away too much it's a delicate balance, but you'll get it. Yeah, I mean, you, you think you're doing a good job by, like, rolling that seam really hard, but then you're pushing out the paste at the same time. Now, if you're seeing bubbles in the paper, that's a different situation. Those are most likely caused by trapped air that wasn't fully purged and smoothed away from under that wallpaper when it was first put up. So before you attempt the fix, just double check. You want to feel that bubbled area with your, with your finger to make sure that it's like soft indicating there's like air underneath. Uh, and you want to make sure that there's nothing trapped underneath. Sometimes you'll get like a nail pop that will push out and, and that's just more wall and you can't do anything about that. But once you confirm it's just air, then fill a small adhesive syringe with wallpaper adhesive. Insert the tip of the syringe through the paper. You might need to take like an exacto knife and make me a little tiny slit in it. And then inject some of that adhesive right under that bubble. And once you're done, smooth that paper down again with a seam roller followed up with a damp cloth or sponge to get rid of any of the extra adhesive. And you probably will have bought yourself a few more years of enjoying that beautiful wallpaper. Now we've got Nicole in Illinois on the line who needs to fix a crack in a wall. And you're saying it's from an earthquake? When did you have an earthquake in Illinois? Uh, it, well, it was just a really small earthquake. We get them, we get them just randomly. About one or two a year. Wow. Because we're, we're right on, uh, there's some fault that's down south of us. 
and now that fault has worked its way up into your wall. So what does it look like? How big of a crack is this that we need to fix? Uh, it's about an 18-inch crack, and then that's going down from the ceiling, and then it uh, goes like it goes diagonally up up the wall and then hits the ceiling and then just go, moves horizontally on the ceiling for a couple of inches. So it's 18 inches long altogether? Yeah. How old is the house? Uh, it's not very old, like 99. Okay, so it's, in, it's a drywall crack then? Yes. Uh, many people will simply spackle that, but the problem is that if you spackle that crack, the wall is now always going to move. And the walls always do move, but now that the wall has a crack, the two sides of that are going to move at different rates. And so the crack will reform. The way you stop that from happening is by taping over that crack with drywall tape and then spackling it. Now, now taping with paper drywall tape can be a bit tricky. So there's a product out that's a perforated drywall tape that looks like a netting. It's like a sticky back netting. And that type of perforated tape is the best one to use because you put the tape on first and then you spackle over it. You want to do two or three coats, starting with uh, smaller coats and then working wider as you go. And remember, the thinner the coat, the better. I'd rather you put on more coats than put on too much spackle, which too many people tend to do. Then it kind of gets all gooped up and piled up on your wall and you'll see it forever. So thin coats, two or three thin coats, and that should do it. Okay. All right. Thank you. You're welcome, Nicole. Thanks so much for calling us at 888-MONEYPIT. Hey, Cheryl from Rhode Island posted her question on MoneyPit.com. Now, she writes, My den has a vaulted ceiling with exposed styrofoam beams. They're painted black. The ceiling is white. The walls are yellow. I'd like to paint the styrofoam beams. What color do you suggest? I mean... Black, white, and yellow. That's yeah. a good place to start. So, <laughs> I think people just get so sort of stalled and confused when it comes time to pick out a paint color, whether it's for a wall, an accent color, whatever it might be. There's, you know, there's endless choices. So I think that's where people really get tripped up. Now, your beams are foam. Painting them in a solid color is kind of... You know, you're missing an opportunity to make them feel like the material that they're representing. And faux bois or fake wood, as it comes to translate to, is not a terribly difficult technique to kind of master and get really good at in a short amount of time. There's tools for it that sort of get dragged through that make that wood grain. There's one that looks more like a a rolling pattern that sort of seems to have more of, I would call it like a fingerprint that feels more like a wood grain. But there's others that have like a triangle with three different widths of like um, triangle teeth on each side that you kind of drag through and mimic the graining of the wood. So I would start with, you know, one tone of brown as your base paint, let that dry, and then go in with either a tone lighter or a tone darker, depending on what type of wood you're trying to duplicate, and just make it look like it's real wood and go in like a brown tone that you like. Yeah, sometimes you can use the really heavy cheesecloth to drag it through the finish when it's wet, and that sometimes makes it look like the grain is like standing up on the on the wood too. So there's lots of tricks and tips and techniques like that, and you can really make it look like wood. Yeah, and it's a fun project to do. All right, Alan in Pennsylvania is seeing some ice inside his windows. He says that my replacement windows are about 10 years old. I notice they freeze or frost up about a half inch on the bottom of the top window. Every year it gets a little bigger. Is there a moisture problem or a window problem or no problem at all? Well, Alan, I think what you're seeing is condensation 
that has gotten into that window because the pain, the seal between the panes has, has leaked as they do over the years. And, you know, in the warmer weather, you may not be seeing much of it in terms of the humidity or water droplets, but in the winter, apparently you're seeing a lot more and that's what's freezing. I mean, the good news is your windows are a little less efficient, but they're not hugely inefficient. It may be indication of a time to think about replacing them, but that's what's causing them. And the only fix here is to get new windows. And you know what, Alan, I know replacing windows can tend to be an expensive project, but sort of tackle this in stages. That's totally acceptable. Um, think about, you know, doing one side of the house first, which side is in the most disrepair or giving you the hardest time. Start with that side, do that, wait a little while, do the next one. It's not something you have to sort of go all in. You're not going to save a tremendous amount of money by getting everything at once. So do what you can within your budget and it'll really work out well for you. Yeah, I mean, if you're mostly concerned about heating bills, then do the the north side and the east side first. If you are more concerned about saving on air conditioning bills, then do the south side and the west side. Totally up to you. It's a pretty straightforward, easy project these days. You know, they're called replacement windows, but actually all those windows are custom made by default, and you're going to find that they're much more efficient than the ones that you have right now. Just measure carefully, and if you don't think you can, get someone to do it for you. This is the Money Pit Home Improvement Show. Thank you so much for spending this part of your day with us. We hope you've enjoyed this episode. If you have questions about projects you'd like to get done around your house, remember you can reach out to us in a couple of ways, either by calling us 24-7 at 1-888-MONEYPIT, posting your question at moneypit.com, or posting your question at facebook.com slash themoneypit. I'm Tom Kreitler. And I'm Leslie Segretti. Remember, you can do it yourself. But you don't have to do it alone. 